Right, good evening. Uh, it'd be great if you could open your Bibles up to where we had our reading a few moments ago. So we're in Luke 2, uh, page 1028. 1028. Should we just pray um, as we start? Uh, Lord God, you revealed um, by your Holy Spirit uh, to Simeon the identity uh, of this baby, Jesus. And Lord God, we pray tonight that by your Spirit uh, you would open up uh, your word to us, that we might see uh, Jesus for who he is and trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, last Friday saw the commemoration, didn't it, of Churchill's um, 50th uh, anniversary of his funeral. Um, I've just finished Boris Johnson's autobiography of... Not autobiography, biography. <laughs> biography. He's long since dead. Biography of uh, Churchill. Uh, it's a treasure trove of fascinating uh, anecdotes and stories uh, about a mercurial, brilliant, uh, yet flawed uh, man. How he lived to his 80s uh, on a diet of that much alcohol and tobacco um, is incredible. But I think probably Churchill's finest hour is widely regarded as leading in capturing of the British spirit of resistance as Prime Minister in uh, World War II, galvanising the country as it stood alone against the darkness of the Nazi war machine. Of course, we remembered as well earlier Auschwitz. And core to this were his great radio broadcasts uh, to the nation and the British Empire, fanning out uh, across a quarter of the world. People would gather around, families would gather around the wireless to listen to Churchill as he growled, challenged, mobilised, connected uh, with the nation. And many regard them uh, as crucial broadcasts in the history uh, of the free world. Well, at the heart of the passage we're looking at tonight is a great broadcast. A great broadcast. There's no TV, no radio, no Twitter. But we have the greatest global broadcast in history. In the coming of Jesus to the world, God is making a pivotal pivotal broadcast to the world, revealing something to the whole world, himself. I guess whether we're we're Christian here tonight or not, or still considering the claims of Jesus, that's something we sometimes, I think, find difficult to grasp. We're, We're sort of slow to accept that God sent Jesus for the whole world. I wonder why is that? I just want to suggest three reasons as we start. First, the whole event feels like a bit of a scandal. So it's a scandal that God should reveal himself in a particular way, at a particular time, in a particular place, to a particular people. It doesn't seem right or fair, does it? If God is to reveal himself, surely he should do it equally and openly to all people at all times. That is the right, that's a fair way uh, to do it. That's how it should happen. The idea that God should reveal himself in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago to particular people, the Jews, that, that isn't how God should act. It just feels like a bit of a scandal. Second, I think it feels a bit embarrassing sometimes. Well, you felt that. Here in Norwich at the end of the A11... It, we just feel a bit embarrassed sometimes and uncomfortable that we, we hold truth that the rest of the world needs to hear. It seems almost too simplistic, maybe even imperialistic. Of course, 
Let's not forget that Jesus was a Jew from Palestine. He would look nothing like uh, the pictures of Edwardian men we have in our stained glass windows. Almost certainly never walked our green and pleasant land. But the idea that we've got something that the whole world needs to hear about just doesn't sit that comfortably. I think third, I think we're much more deeply affected by our culture than we like to admit. So we live, don't we, in a highly pluralistic and supposedly open-minded culture. So all religions are none. They will take you to the door of the gods that you want to visit. All theories about the life and the universe, they're all equally valid. And I think part of us would like to buy into that. It has a kind of superficial and easy attractiveness. So it's hard to accept that 2,000 years ago, in Palestine, in an obscure village, to an unknown woman, the saviour of the world was born. So it seems offensive, arrogant, to say that all other religions, ultimately they're dead ends. Well, I think if you're someone who's had some of those or other doubts, Luke, Dr. Luke, he wants you to have confidence. That's what he tells us in the opening chapter of his gospel. He's carefully investigated everything, written an orderly account. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught, chapter 1, verse 4. He wants us to know the truth of who Jesus really is and what his coming into the world means. He wants us to have that confidence. Tonight, we're just going to look briefly at two things I think this passage shows us about the coming of Christ. First, Christ's coming is a revelation of God to the world. And second, Christ's coming is a revelation of the world to God. So first, Christ's coming is a revelation of God uh, to the world. If you've been here, you will have seen over the past few weeks, Luke records a number of remarkable testimonies uh, to Jesus in the first two chapters of his gospel. And he consistently, do you notice this, consistently makes clear there is only one interpreter on the scene. There's one interpreter telling us the significance of this baby, what he's come to do. Who is that? It's almighty God himself. So back in uh, chapter 1, verse 26, we saw the angel Gabriel, a supernatural messenger from God, come to Mary and tell her what the baby is, what he will do. Chapter 1, the Holy Spirit fills Zechariah and gives him a long explanation about the birth of Jesus, what it means. And then last week we saw how the angels came to the shepherds in the field, supernatural messengers from God, telling people what is happening and why it's happening. And so now the scene swings from the fields and the shepherds to the city and the temple. And as the law required, Mary and Joseph, they bring Jesus to the temple when he's eight days old to be circumcised. A very familiar Jewish scene. Except for Simeon. He recognises there is something special, very special, about this boy. And this is a day he's been waiting a long time for. And as he takes the boy in his arms, his eyes and his mouth are opened and his words point to who Jesus is. Do you notice how God continues to play the role of interpreter? Do you see that? Look at verse 25. The Holy Spirit was upon him, Simeon. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, Simeon was moved 
by the Spirit. Luke wants us to grasp, doesn't he, that the Holy Spirit, God by his Spirit, he led Simeon, drove Simeon, enabled Simeon to say what he said. This is not Simeon's dodgy Radio 4 thought for the day. It's not his shiny, bright new idea. In my experience, all babies look the same. But the Holy Spirit enabled Simeon to recognise this baby is different. So what does Simeon say as he takes a baby in his arms and praises God? Look at verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. This baby is a light for a revelation to the Gentiles. Perhaps my biggest uh, work or career mistake, um, I'm a lawyer in a day job, was accidentally disclosing to the opposing side in a piece of litigation a document that I should not have disclosed. So I ended up mistakenly disclosing a piece of legal advice which set out the proposed strategy for sacking a difficult employee to the employee who'd been sacked. They could probably have guessed um, at what had gone on, but the disclosure of the document gave them the full picture, much to my cost. Well, that is what's happening with the coming of Jesus. We get the full picture. Revelation means making something known that was previously unknown. And Gentiles simply means the nations of the world, the peoples of the whole world. So in sending Jesus, God is making something known to the whole world, himself. And the global nature of this broadcast, it wouldn't have been lost on the Jewish listeners of the day who knew their scriptures well, because the Old Testament is adorned with prophecies of a Messiah who would come for the whole world. Here's two, just two. So one from Isaiah, verse 6. Listen to this. The Lord is speaking about the coming of the Messiah, the one who will be a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 52, verse 10, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. And Jesus, when he grows up, when he is filled with wisdom, as this passage says, he claims these prophecies for himself. Familiar words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is God's instrument of salvation. More than that, he claims to be God. Anyone who has seen the Father has seen me. You want to know what God is like, says Jesus, then look at me. It is almost as if, up to now, the people have had a kind of torchlight of the Old Testament. A real light, adequate light, a light by which people could see and understand, but it's not the full light. But then when Jesus comes, it is if, it's as if dawn breaks. So the sun, it streams through. The torch is turned off, the curtains are drawn back, and the dazzling dazzling full light of day 
illuminates everything. That is Christian revelation. We learn what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. Jesus came down from heaven to provide us with a true and sufficient knowledge of God. So people the world over, all times, all places, will see what God is like, will be able to take hold of that salvation for themselves. Jesus is revealed as the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. What is the implication of this? I think one is surely this. Our Christianity can never be a private affair. It's not something for being at home and locking the door and doing behind a closed door. It it just can't be, can it? When here is God making a broadcast to the whole world. This is a light to put on a stand, not put under a bowl. If you think about it, the only reason we're here today is because people in years gone by did not treat the good news of Jesus as a private thing. Instead, they passed on the light. You can probably think of people that did that for you. Special people. We can be special people in our part there. If we're Christian, we've got this light to pass on to the world. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be big. It would be great to invite people to the Alive course, but it doesn't even have to be that, does it? It just starts at home. The people we know, those that we love. I wonder, are we doing that? So first, Christ's coming is a revelation of God to the world. Secondly, Christ's coming is a revelation of the world to God. Do you notice in the passage how Simeon's words come in two parts? Do you see that? So you've got verses 29 to 32, his prayer of praise to God, thanking and praising God that he's seen the instrument of God's salvation. Mary and Joseph marvel at what is said, verse 33. And then what does Simeon do? He turns to Mary and speaks directly and very movingly to her. Look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. When Jesus comes to the world, he divides the world. He polarises We often talk about Jesus as a peacemaker, don't we? And that's right. Fundamentally, he's a maker of peace between men and women and God. But he also comes to divide the world. That is what the falling and rising of many means. Jesus will divide people. Some will hear the message of Christ and receive him. Some will hear the message of Christ and reject him. Some will rise, some will fall. Christ divides. If you think about it, that's what Jesus says himself, doesn't he, in Matthew chapter 10. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
Christ divides. That is what Peter speaks about in his first letter when he talks about Jesus being a living stone. Do you know those words? A stone rejected by some, but precious to others. We either build on the rock, which is Christ, or we stumble over it and we fall. Christ divides. We meet Christ and we respond one way or the other. That is what Simeon means when he says the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. We can't be casual or neutral. Our hearts are exposed and revealed by how we respond to Christ. We tend to love these days what is often called the middle ground, don't we? So that place that is supposedly mainstream, reasonable, moderate, balanced. A place from which elections are supposedly won. And many of us are tempted to put Jesus on the middle ground. To sort of sanitise him, clean him up a bit. Intellectualise him, codify him. Make him seemingly palatable for the world. That is not the authentic Jesus. That is a fantasy, Jesus. We're either drawn to the claims of Jesus or we're repulsed by them. We're drawn or we're repulsed. There is no middle ground. If you doubt that, just consider some of the outrageous claims that Jesus made. Some will be familiar. Here are some. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not very moderate. The one who believes in me is not condemned. The one who does not believe in me is condemned already. Direct. Anyone who loves their father, mother, son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. To the rich young ruler, and I paraphrase, I have to be more important to you than wealth or anything else, or you are lost Jesus claims to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who demands our adoration, our allegiance. We're drawn to Christ or we're repulsed by him. There's no middle ground. I think so often we're tempted to talk and live as if it's Jesus who is somehow on trial. It's almost as if we kind of put Jesus in a shop, in a shopping centre... And he's sitting there politely behind a counter with a bit of sort of dated, dodgy-looking marketing materials in the front window. And there's Jesus waiting, sitting there waiting for people to come in and, and show a bit of interest. And we think that somehow he's going to be flattered uh, if we do so. Thank you so much for coming to take an interest in me, Jesus. I'm so grateful. You're so busy with all your work, your studies, your families, your socialising... I'm just so grateful you're here. That's so often what we do with Jesus, I think. Don't make that mistake. It's not Christ who's on trial, but those of us who listen to him. Christ reveals our hearts. And he's showing us today whether we are rebels and content to remain rebels, or whether we're willing to surrender to him and become forgiven. How is it for you? 
What is the effect of Jesus on you? Are you someone who's drawn to the light, drawn to take hold of salvation? Or are you just you know, keeping a distance a bit, refusing to have Christ show up the darkness of your life? Light and darkness, they just don't, don't coexist. Either the darkness of our life will keep the light away, or the light will scatter the darkness. Are you being drawn to Christ, or are you being driven away? One of the striking things about this passage is that the cross is already in view. Do you notice that in the words to Mary in verse 35? Those words, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That is an allusion to the heartbreaking pain Mary will endure in seeing her son rejected, abandoned, crucified. But the cross was no accident. Only by dying on the cross could Jesus take upon himself our rejection of God. No one else was good enough to pay the price that we deserve. Jesus died, he rose again. He's alive today, he offers a living relationship with God. There is none other like him. Are you drawn to him? Or are you repulsed by him? Most of us here tonight, we all have been drawn to the light. We know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. If that's you, can I ask you this? Is Jesus the supreme thing in your life? Is he top of the pile for you? So often in life, it seems we come to a crossroads. seem to arrive more frequently as we get older, they do for me. And we kind of look one way. And we see a road that, that looks straightforward, looks quite flat, looks hassle-free. And we look the other way, the way of Jesus. And it doesn't look so attractive. You know, reputation, money, promotion, boyfriend or girlfriend, they, they seem to be at stake. And they may well be. Christ divides Yet the truth is that the road of obedience and conflict is ultimately the road to peace. And the road that just looks that bit less bumpy is a mirage to heartache, to dissatisfaction, and ultimately to destruction. Let's pray, if we are Christian here tonight, that we would live in our Bibles. We would have confidence, confidence, in the promises of God, rooted in history. That we'd be like Anna. Do you notice Anna in this passage? She shines out of this passage, doesn't she? As living and loving her faith, even at the grand old age of 84 plus. There's no age limit on these things. Verses 36 to 38, a woman who sheer love and contentment. Contentment. In the Lord drives her to worship him night and day, to pray and to speak to all about Jesus, the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord God, these are many familiar 
are truths to many of us. To some of us, they may be truths that are new. Lord God, we pray that we would have confidence in who Jesus is, confidence uh, in your perfect plan for redeeming the world. Lord God, that we would uh, put our trust in Jesus, we'd get over that hurdle. And that we would feel that freedom of knowing that all that matters is living for you. That you'd help us uh, each day this week in those times we face where uh, we struggle to place our trust, that we would trust in Christ. And Lord God, that you would equip us, uh, use us by your spirit to speak to all about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.